0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we continue our Fantasy file series with a look at some sleeper running backs. Now, I've talked a lot on this podcast about the idea of chasing volume at running back. and I just wanted to put some more analytical thoughts behind that and ultimately tell you who you should be drafting with that principle in mind. So, you know, we'll go through certain things on this podcast, but the main goal today is to give you 10 running backs who I think are vastly undervalued in their average draft position compared to what we should expect them to get from a volume standpoint. So thank you as always for tuning in everybody and we will get right into it. So first off, arbitrary you know, numbers are gonna be used a little bit throughout this as we always need to do. Why is it 100 targets? Why is it 50, 25? We always use these arbitrary numbers, but I'll attempt to put a little bit of substance behind them. So the three main groups of just touch categories I wanted to use to get a sample size of running backs to determine which of them have been, you know, busting with high touch usages have been 15 touches per game, 17 and a half per game and 20 touches per game. Those give you season long totals of 240, 280 and 320. So with that in mind, I went back to over the last 10 years, 2011 to 2020 looked at every single running back to meet these criteria. Criterias and to see how they finished off on the season. Now, I understand there's some limitations here. You know, running backs can have real high touch counts for a couple of weeks, then get hurt. They wouldn't end up in the study because they don't have the overall total numbers. We also have instances where, you know, someone's limping to 240 touches over 17 games. And they don't necessarily turn in that high of fantasy production because it was, you know, more of a factor of being on the field for 17 games, not necessarily them, you know, having this awesome gaudy per game average. But this is just, again, we can't predict injuries we can't exactly predict when guys are going to be taken off the field for uh you know just these random reasons so with that in mind we will just use this to not say that you need to just target every single guy we think gets 240 touches although it's not a bad start more so just to point out and prove that i'm not lying to you when i tell you how important volume is so with that in mind we've had let's see 42 touch 42 running backs excuse me rack up at least 320 touches over the past 10 years 98 percent of them finished as an rb1 only one of them finished as an rb2 in the entire study we got gone to 280 touches 80 percent of them finished as an rb1 19 percent as an rb2 just one percent as an rb3 or worse and overall in the 240 touch group again a modest 15 touches per game 64 percent finished as an rb1 33 percent as an rb2 just three percent as an rb3 now this is full point per reception scoring i'm sure you can imagine who some of these rb3 uh candidates were that weren't able to crack the top 24 even with 240 plus touches just five of them over the past 10 years 2019 sony michelle 2019 carlos hyde 2018 peyton barber 2011 willis mcgahee and 2011 cedric benson rip easy problem to spot with all these guys receptions i mean the totals in these nobody had more than 20 receptions among michelle hyde barber mcgahee and benson so that's basically the thing you need to have targets in order to thrive in full point per reception scoring and it's arguably even more important than total touches like this was one of the wildest takeaways i had with this study i just took the ppr rank and i took the correlation between every single ppr rank and every single running backs touches targets and rush attempts and ppr rank was actually more correlated to targets than it was to overall touches like that is just wild to me it was you know in insignificant difference targets had a positive correlation of 0.63 touches only a, or excuse me a negative correlations because one's going up uh one, the other one's going down but negative uh 0.63 correlation for the targets negative 0.62 for touches just a 0.01 difference but targets did have the edge rush attempts all the way down there at 0.34 this is why it's so important to realize if your running back isn't going to be looking at more than 30 receptions how tough it is for them to get there we see it. Happen. it's not like that you know we had again only five running backs that had at least 240 touches couldn't at least crack the top 24 there's plenty of grinders that managed to get by without the receptions but when we do see issues is coming from guys without those receptions so you know went through this went through the 10 years i think we all can agree volume is very important and one of the formulas i've been bringing up on this podcast was last season, basically targets were worth two and a half, uh, one target was worth basically two and a half rush attempts in terms of a projected amount of fantasy points. If you look at the whole league, I brought this up on several podcasts so far. I went back though, 10 years to just get more of a, you know, not just a one year sample size of things. And it ended up being about the same, basically closer to 2.7. So one target equal to about 2.7 rush attempts in terms of expected fantasy points. I used that equation, applied it to our PFF projections ahead of 2021 to basically get this expected projected fantasy of opportunity score. Took that ranking compared to guys ADP. So essentially what I'm comparing here, where are guys being drafted and where from a pure projected expected opportunity standpoint, should they be going if we're only caring about volume? And I'm just going to go through the top 12 running backs in ADP uh, courtesy of fantasy football calculator. And just to get a grip on, you know, which of these guys are maybe being projected a little bit higher than they should be in terms of brawl opportunity which guys are maybe a little bit undervalued anyway with those top 12 christian mccaffrey dalvin cook zero difference they are exactly where they should be in terms of this projected expected opportunity derrick henry seven spots higher than we think he should be he has been the exception to the rule that you don't need receptions just realize people like as how how you can run for over two thousand yards like he did not be the overall rb1 is messed up and then why is nick chubb never been hired in rb8 in fantasy football even though he's a consensus top five running back because four point per reception scoring is stupid but it's a game we play we need to get in to it. Uh, Number four, we have Alvin Kamara, just one spot higher than his opportunity says he should be. Zeke uh, is RB5 ADP. He should be RB4 if we're looking at just the opportunities portion. Saquon Barkley at RB6 and ADP should be three spots higher in terms of opportunity. Jonathan Taylor, like Derrick Henry, seven spots higher than arguably he should be uh, just based on ADP versus opportunity. Nick Chubb, 10 spots higher. Then we have Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, one spot behind. Cam Akers, one spot ahead. Najee Harris, four spots lower than he maybe should be. If we're looking at raw opportunities, So the three big issues in there is I know I'm. I, know I talk fast to begin with, and we're going through a lot of names. So apologies uh, if I'm going a little quick there, but the three main guys that had any sort of significant uh, difference in their rankings, Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Nick. Trump and this is why we need to be cognizant of different league types because you know there's nothing wrong with these guys and even half point or standard leagues like that's fine if you're in a standard league you shouldn't be paying as much attention to these sort of issues but so many leagues now DraftKings and just even more general like just home leagues I think are trending more and more towards full point per reception scoring as the base setting and we're just not being quick enough I think to get around on the idea that these more early down grinder type backs backs even if they can catch the ball like I don't think there's anything wrong with Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb's pure hands or like their pass catching ability it's just their raw number of targets aren't high enough to give them the same sort of comfortable floor as someone else in these top 12 they can overcome this Derek Henry just did it last year Jonathan Taylor Nick Chubb largely just did it last year as well just when you start to look at the differences with some of these guys hey a new quarterback perhaps you know CC Carson Wentz a fellow backfield mate that isn't going away CC Kareem Hunt you know, just pure regression, because how can you possibly be that freaking good two years in a row? Uh, CC Derrick Henry himself. I just think that you really need to consider, uh, fading these guys, at least by a few spots, not overall. Again, we don't hate players. We hate ADP. Uh, just before you take Derrick Henry, you know, third overall in a full point per reception league, uh, maybe consider this a little bit because we are drafting for upside people, not the floor and these other running backs. While, you know, it's not quite the same. We're taking worse real life players, I get it when we're passing on guys like Derrick Henry, uh Nick Chubb, and Jonathan Taylor, when we're taking guys like Cam Akers, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris over them, I understand these are worse real life players and it doesn't feel good. Just realize that pass game volume gives us such a nice floor. It's exactly the same reason why you can be, you know, someone like 2018, 2019 Josh Allen or 2020 Jalen Hurts or, you know, 2018 Lamar Jackson. You don't even need to be a good real life player to be a great fantasy player if you're getting multiple means of production, uh, you know, through two uh, different facets of the game. So moving on to some other players that we saw this extreme difference in, you know, just the idea that these guys are being ranked higher than they should be if we're just paying more attention to the opportunity side of things. J.K. Dobbins has a 10 rank difference where, hey, you know, he's already basically splitting work with Gus Edwards. We know Lamar Jackson does not like throwing to his RBs, and Lamar himself is going to be likely leading the way in rush attempts. Dobbins just averaged six yards per carry last year. You know, maybe he keeps on keeping on. He's going to need to to make up for this lack of overall volume. James Robinson, a whopping 28-spot difference. So, look, ADPs right now are still a little off for redraft. You know, Robinson landed on my fade list because on certain redraft channels, he's going as the RB25, borderline RB2 still. I really hope a lot of that is just being baked in from him, you know, going a lot higher before the draft even happened, before they got ETM. You know, someone uh, replied to my uh, value and fade article going out saying, you know, they've seen Robinson in the 130 range and they like him there. Yeah, of course, James Robinson is fine in the 130 range, but even at underdog, he is overall ADP is as, like the 92nd player off the board for that spot. I just don't think Robinson, you know, is worthy of selection over guys like, you know, Latavius Murray, Pollard, uh, just that entire hand handcuffed tier. Even guys like AJ Dillon, there's just so much uncertainty in what's going on in Jacksonville. And I'm not going to draft the guy based on what happened on a horrendous 2020 Jaguars team when there was no competition in the backfield. And now we have both ETN and yes, he is a factor Carlos Hyde uh, to worry about. So James Robinson, man, unless this, you know, starts free falling and we can get him as, you know, the RB 36 through 40 range. I'm just not going to have any of them here in 2021 Raheem Mostert has a plus 15 difference. Trey sermon plus. 19 difference i think the issue here is you know we're just expecting there to be more than this two-back committee in san francisco i mean the idea that sermon is just going to be immediately slotted in to this 1a 1b role he he could be we don't know though i mean third round pick i would assume they didn't draft a guy to sit on the bench but when gallman's there we got mitchell there jeff wilson eventually maybe could be back i just don't exactly get uh the discrepancy between uh you know sermon and the rest of these backs i think most are a starter but you know what i've been higher on Mostert than a lot of people. And this, uh, you know, does tell me that we're going to need them to be awfully efficient as well. You know, Mostert, his status as literally only him and Tyreek Kill have uh, hit 23 miles per hour per next gen stats with the ball in their hand over the past five years. You know I'm not saying to fade these guys just realize we're going to need them to be extra efficient In Mostert's case, at least, you know, I'm betting on a guy that I'm taking around seven or eight to be extra efficient as opposed to, you know, Jonathan Taylor, who you're potentially drafting with a top 10 overall pick. But it's a good eye opening moment, I think, for me with Mostert to maybe not uh, you know, be treating him as a true, you know, top uh, 28, top 30 back, maybe try to get a little more into the, you know, take him where he's going versus trying to get him around early. Uh Damian Harris popped up as well. I really wouldn't worry about this because the rankings we currently have out there, are, or the projections, excuse me, are implying that Sonny Michelle will not get cut. And the reason for us liking uh Damian Harris is the reports that Sonny Michelle could in fact be cut before the year obviously if Sony continues to play and we just don't see Damien get the starting role that is going to be a major issue with where he is currently going so with all that in mind, everybody, this does take us to the good stuff. We have 10 running backs that I believe are in situations where they're just being priced far closer to their floor than their ceiling when looking at the potential touches at hand. So number one is Tevin Coleman reportedly has the early edge in the jets backfield competition. You know, he's coming over from San Francisco as is offensive coordinator, Michael floor. And I get it people. We didn't look good in San Fran. He's been, you know, the recipient of a lot of slander here there on the old Twitter sphere over the years. Just realize, 2019, he suffered a grade three high ankle sprain after 18 snaps. In 2020, he suffered a knee patella sprain after playing just 36 snaps. So, unfortunately, well, playing hurt, he hasn't looked like the same dynamic dude we saw back with the Falcons. But now, going as the RB 54, like, Coleman should probably be considered the favorite to start in week one. You know, credit to Michael Carter. He's not good prospect and even though he's a fourth round pick he was picked at the very top of the round you know difference of you know three picks if he had gone the last picker the third round i'm sure people will be having a different perspective on it but when coleman again is that cheap and he has a Solid chance that we're kind of pitting to go into low RB thirties in terms of, you know, his projected opportunity, I just think it makes a lot of sense because even if Carter becomes the lead back, who's to say this won't be a two or even three back committee in these sort of uneven situations, we should be trying to draft the cheapest guy, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, I think are better picks at value than Michael Carter at the moment also have New England Patriots running back James White. So this, uh, we have two guys on here, James White and, you know, spoiler alert, Devin Singletary, where I don't think you should necessarily be looking to go out and get them because they just don't have the ceiling. There's no situation that'll happen in 2021 that where James White all of a sudden is the featured New England Patriots running back Singletary. Maybe he's two or three injuries away from that. But as we saw uh, last year, when Zach Moss got hurt, it wasn't just a Devin Singletary show. They brought in TJ Yeldon, who's usually on act, usually inactive uh, during the week when both running backs were healthy. Now they have Matt Breida going into 2021 to seemingly be that RB3. So Singletary is someone that I just don't think the Bills trust enough as a featured back. Even if he is a little more involved in the you know, weekly committee than we're expecting, again, chasing that upside. And I just don't think he has it even in a best case scenario. Uh, for White, you know he's been dating back to 2015. The overall PPR, RB37, RB26, RB38, RB7 overall. Hell, RB19 and RB42. This year, he's on. Know, only the RB 53 and ADP, like, yeah, he should beat that, but what good is having a mid thirties, uh, RB anyway. So James White, you know, even if Mac Jones coming in for Cam Newton, how that could help, I just think his role is so one-dimensional and the fact that he can't, you know, even likely get over a hundred carries. I just think uh, he doesn't quite have the upside to warrant anything more than, you know, the latest of round uh, picks for, you know, zero RB, uh, drafters. Kansas City Chiefs running back Daryl Williams comes in at number three. I mean, we're assuming Clyde Edwards Alaire is gonna take over, but there is a chance that we see a committee of sorts. I mean, they trust Daryl Williams. He's been with the squad now since 2018. He handled 17 and 14 touches in the AFC divisional and championship round wins for the Chiefs. I mean, Andy Reid trusts the guy. Le'Veon Bell's gone. At a minimum, I think he should just be in that appropriate handcuff range, you know, with Madison, with Murray and all those guys, because he might have a chance of giving us flex. Worst case, he's one injury. Away from looking at, you know, probably not top 10 value, but I think it'd be hard to make, you know, a full top 24 list without Daryl Williams of Clyde Edwards, Alaire can't stay healthy. And number four, we got Las Vegas Raiders, RB Kenyon Drake. I mean, anyone's guess as to what's kind of going on with Jacobs and Drake, but more and more, it does seem to be trending towards looking more like a two back committee, as opposed to the Jacobs show and everyone else that we've seen in the past two years. I mean, the biggest issue for me, And we talked about this in my uh, handcuff podcast a couple of days ago, a little bit, basically Jacobs has never gotten the targets. They're bringing in Drake already giving him the lip service of, you know, Hey, this is a guy we're going to use as a receiver, get involved in the passing game. Drake is there to be their pass down back. So Jacobs already doesn't have that. We know Drake can run between the tackles fine enough. So if anyone's going to take over, take over this backfield, it's going to be Drake. And I don't think it's going to be Jacobs. So, you know, with Drake hanging around with an ADP as the RB 40, he's one, again, one of these guys where we're drafting him in a good range as the handcuff that he would be if something bad goes wrong, but also we're getting him in, you know, similar to Latavius Murray and Similar to uh Daryl Williams potentially and even Tevin Coleman. We're getting a guy that could also give us flex value uh, on a weekly basis because of his projected outcome. So that's what we're looking at, people. I'm not saying to take any of these guys in the top, you know, seven, eight, even like top 10 rounds of your drafts, but you can do a hell of a lot worse in the double digit rounds after you've already loaded up on wide receivers than these running backs that can be serviceable in a pinch. And in a best case scenario, when injuries inevitably start to happen, you already have the guy that's gonna be on the top of waiver wireless. Uh, when they come out the following Monday couple more. We got two teammates here. Both Detroit Lions running backs cracked the list. Jamal Williams, I think we all heard Anthony Lynn, you know, stating Jamal Williams is his A back and calling you know, Swift his B back. But Swift comes in as well and that the large reason is because of his potential to just eat up targets. I mean Swift and our PFF projections is one of just 10 running backs projected to clear 60 targets. And when we look at which one of those guys are also projected to clear 200 rush attempts, there are only seven running backs involved. So Swift even, again, he's the prime example of why we need to focus on receiving backs. Like Alvin Alvin Kamara has never had 200 carries in the season. And I'm not saying Swift is going to be Alvin Kamara, this top five fantasy back. But if he can get around that 190, 200 rush attempt mark, which is reasonable with, you know, a poor man's version of Alvin Kamara's receiving role, where he gets, you know, 60 receptions instead of 80, we're still looking at someone that's going to smash his current ADP as the RB 19. So Swift's someone that I haven't been getting a ton of in fantasy drafts. You know, usually I'm trying to get two of those top 15, Max the Clyde Edwards layer kind of being the uh, point where I'm starting to look at the wide receivers, but more and more as people are just drafting wide receivers earlier and earlier in these drafts, you know, if Swift starts falling in the round, uh, you know, later parts of round three, how even round four, potentially, that's when we will pounce everybody. And yeah, Jamal Williams, just we got to start coming up with a name uh, for the, yeah if anyone can come up with a good name for this let me know because we have the handcuff range and fantasy but there's a difference in handcuffs not every handcuff is created equal and i think the guys like jamal williams like latavius murray like Kenyon drake the guys that can also give you flex service uh are worth a little bit more so i'll work on the name uh you know but if anyone else got some suggestions let me know because other guys alexander madison tony pollard like they are true darts that might give you nothing throughout the year not saying they aren't valuable they could be more valuable than all the other handcuffs if things go their way but they're also the most likely scenario for them is that they sit on the bench more weeks than not final three running backs people atlanta falcons running back mike davis you know wrote an article on him earlier this offseason calling him fancy's cheapest three down running back like some people just refuse to give him credit i i don't know if it's the them just being mad about McCaffrey getting injured last year or what. But I mean, last year Davis forced more missed tackles per rush than every running back other than Nick Chubb. He averaged more yards per carry than McCaffrey. And he also tallied the same amount of yards after contact per rush as Alvin Kamara and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, if the Falcons have brought in tougher competition, other than, you know, undrafted rookie Javian Hawkins. So I think is too small to handle a three down load. Anyway, I love Cordero Patterson more than just about anybody, but people, he is not going to be a legit competition for, you know, North Normal early down or even pass down a running back uh, snaps. I just think at this point in his career, he's much more of a gadget. Maybe, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. And Cordero has like 400 touches this year. Just don't exactly see it happening. And with that in mind, we got the reigning PPR RB12 going to a Falcons offense that I mean, enabled Todd Gurley's corpse to some pretty solid production in the first half of last season before the wheels truly fell off. So I don't know how pretty this Falcons offense will be next year, but if we're assuming they're not going to have you Know falling off a complete cliff without Julio Jones and still be at least a middling offense. Their number one RB, who they've consistently and Arthur Smith certainly has experience with this, going back to Tennessee, uh, they have featured as more of a bell cow back than I think other offenses. Final two, uh, Cincinnati Bengals running back Joe Mixon cracks the list. I mean. Just stop, please, people with this slander. We've gotten better throughout the offseason. I mean, look, ultimately, the Bengals gave Mixon a four year, $48 million contract extension last August. Giovanni Bernard, the one guy that was always standing in between Mixon and a three down role, is gone. And we now have the you know best offensive line quarterback of Mixon's career. You know, Brian Callahan, the OC, has gone on record stating he doesn't want Mixon to leave the field. I mean, he was the overall PPR RB 10 and RB13 in 2018, and 2019, last year before. Before the injury, he was the RB 10 in PPR points per game. Mixon, while he's not someone I'm telling you to draft, like fifth or sixth overall, I do certainly think he is in that top tier of 10 to 15 running backs that you should be looking to get in the first couple rounds of fantasy drafts before starting to attack wide receiver and tight end. Finally, we have mentioned him before, but New Orleans Saints running back Latavius Murray. I mean, I don't think people understand just how involved he can be in this offense. I mean, the rumors and reports are more and more suggesting that this is going to be a legit open competition between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. And what Taysom under center last year, Kamara had 50 carries, Latavius had 40, 40 Taysom Hill had 39. You know, Murray turned 30, turns 32, excuse me, in January. I get it. It's not, you know, the sexiest pick, particularly in dynasty formats. Still, though, we've only seen the guy play two non-week 17 games without Alvin Kamara. He turned in top three fantasy performances on each occasion. So even though Sean Payton, you know, doesn't give Alvin Kamara these full featured 90% uh, snap workloads, he has given those to Latavius when Kamara has missed time. So Latavius, uh, you know, a bunch of these guys, that's the theme. We got we got either undisputed potential three-down workhorses, Joe Mixon, Mike Davis, uh, the two main ones, or we got these kind of, again, these special handcuffed running backs that also carry the weekly flex potential and Tevin Coleman, Daryl Williams, Kenyon Drake, Jamal Williams, uh, DeAndre Swift, I guess. I mean, he's just a kind of an enigma of the way he's potentially going to be used this year. And of course, Latavius Murray. So those are some running backs that I think at cost are really good values based on their projected opportunity. That's gonna do it, everybody. Thank you as always for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every single day throughout the summer. Just trying to get you all in a position to win your fantasy football leagues. That's all. I have no ulterior ulterior. What's the word? Ulterior motives. No other motives than for you all to win. I w- do need to get some ads, though, so I don't get yelled at by my bosses. Fantasy football season is here. We are now offering 40% off any PFF subscription to all first-time subscribers. A promo code SAVE40. Get access to PFF's Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Complete with our player rankings and projections. College Football Preview Magazine, first edition of the 2022 NFL Draft Guide, and all of PFF's locked article content. Again, that's promo code SAVE40 for 40% off any PFF subscription. Get access to all of PFF's Fantasy Tools for $5.99. Also, I'll give a shout out to our guys, Fantrax, because they're our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is NFL fantasy football league manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature rich platform in the entire industry pff is gearing up to play our leagues on fan tracks this season i mean people we got multi-team trades player salary and contract options bonus points for touchdowns with different yardage i love these leagues and shout out to sleeper as well who's done some work with us i love these leagues that make you know customizable options possible and they give us a chance to improve on fantasy football so if you're like me you don't like full point per reception scoring you can change it and if you want to get really funky with salary and contract options you can do that too whichever league you're in and you can customize it exactly the way you want. If you're coming from another site, that is no problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues. So sign up and play now at Fantrax.com slash PFF and actually get a chance to win an autographed jersey from Josh Allen. You hear that, people? Get a chance to win an autographed jersey from the arguable GOAT, not the actual GOAT, but you can imagine. Josh Allen just got to sign up now and play now at Fantrax.com slash PFF. That's Fantrax.com slash PFF, the home of fantasy sports. That's going to wrap up this edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Ian Harditz, and until next time, take care, everybody.